Greetings, friends and colleagues. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. I am Scott Lee. I hope you are safe and well. Our guest for this episode is Johnson Blada Desagust, the founder of Kai Blada Recycling. It might seem unusual to have an episode focused on a recycling program operating in Haiti, but as you will hear, in addition to recycling, Kai Blada also has an educational and social justice mission. Its founder, Blada, grew up in Hinche, Haiti, and after coming to the United States, started this nonprofit to help provide jobs and solve the problem of high levels of plastic waste in Haiti. Blada and I will discuss how the recycling program focuses on educating students, provides jobs, and the surprising origins of the solid waste problem of his home country. But first, we will discuss some of the things that many non-Haitians might not know about the country and history of Haiti. Welcome, Blada, to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. Briefly tell us, what does the Kai and Kai Blada stand for, and what does Kai Blada Recycling do? Oh, thank you so much for having me on your, on your podcast, and uh, I uh, hope everyone listening will have a great time, just like we're having a great time right here. So to answer your question, Kai Blada Recycling is obviously a recycling initiative that um, I started in Haiti in 2015 to, with the mission to uh, clean up the, the streets of the, of the country. We do that by uh, empowering Haitian citizens in Haiti to, uh, to take action uh, against uh, plastic waste in their communities. And the word Kai and Kai Bada Recycling means house. Um, when I was uh, you know, scratching my brain to find to find a name, an appealing name to give the uh, initiative, the organization, it wasn't too hard to you know eventually uh, adopt the Kai Blada and the word Kai in front of it. It's a it's a common surface or suffix um, in Asian uh, businesses names. Kai going to buy something Kai Scott like at, at Scott's house. In, in our case, it was we're going to sell something to Kai Blada Recycling. Instead of going to buy something, we're going to sell something. We're going to Kai Blada, we're going to make money. And make money with what? With, with waste, with trash. A, a way to socially captivate attention. Hear the name, you will, you will pay attention. And you, will, you will be some, somewhat familiarized with Kai and, and uh, Kai Blada Recycling is, is doing the environmental protection work in Haiti since uh, uh, December of 2015. We're going to talk a little bit more about the recycling programs and education programs in, in just a, a little bit. Uh, most of our audience is American, and Americans in general only hear about Haiti when something bad happens. You live in the U.S., but are originally from Haiti. Uh, what are some things that you wish more Americans knew about your home country? Oh, great question. A great question. This question is, is, is really a good one because, it, as you said, most of the times Americans hear about Haiti is when something bad happens, saying uh, an earthquake or some uh, um, violence or all of the above. 
and sometimes it, both of those things happen all together all at once. What I would like for people know about Haiti is, or, or some of them already know it, but they, 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 don't, they don't let it soak in, is the fact that Haiti is the first black independent republic in the world. I say in the world, somebody said to me once, well, you gotta, you gotta put the modern world in it. So fine. It, it's the first black independent republic in the modern world. It's because of Haiti, most countries became independent, um, like, the, you know, abolish slavery. And in fact, Haiti was part of those revolutionary times as Haiti Haitians traveled around the, around the world to contribute and main power to um, fight against slavery. And they did so successfully. The second thing is, I think, to my, to my view, is since we Haitians, we are from many different parts of, of Africa, we hold this rich culture. And you can, you can see it or feel it and hear it in our music and our food. Haiti, unfortunately, too many times get to the American people's ears uh, with that negative story. But we we have we have lots of lots of lots of great things. We have uh, we have one of the most recognized buildings in the world. I when I was in school, I was thought I was thought that was the eight. I don't know what's what was the what's the word in English, but a eighth wonder of the world. Exactly. And, and, and it was built in a specific location in Haiti that, that until these days, everybody is asking how um, did this engineer or this group of people get this project accomplished. So there are so many things. I said our culture is rich as, it, as it's a mix of, of not only native Haitians, but uh, African, African people. Mm-hmm. A slave at the time, kidnapped at the time, but they were occupying the, the territory. So they brought they brought what they had, its, its values, to to make Haiti what it is today. But unfortunately, it's only the violence or the, the, the natural disasters that got Haiti to make uh, to make the the surface in, in the media. Right. Like, uh, as my wife, uh, as an American fell in love with, with Haiti. It's many, many Haitians, I mean, uh, Americans I know uh, who fall in love uh, with Haiti. People here only rely on the news to tell them what's going on around the, around the world. That really is uh, too bad. I used to be a history teacher. And one of the favorite things that I used to, uh, one of the favorite people I used to teach about was La Tante de Overture. This was really the first successful slave revolt, and it had a huge impact on U.S. history that most people, most Americans don't know. I mean, following the independence of, of, of Haiti, you know, that's why Napoleon was so happy to get rid of Louisiana and willing to make a deal uh, was a direct result of uh, the events that were happening in Haiti. And if that had not happened history of the United States would be very different. So let's talk a little bit more about the recycling 
efforts uh, that uh, Kaiblata is involved in. And then also we'll want to talk about specifically about an education initiative uh, that you also have. But first off, let's talk about the recycling side. I know part of the problem involves uh, having something to do uh, with trash, particularly plastics, and the fact uh, the practice of burning that uh, for fuel. Is that the reason why the focus is on recycling plastics in particular? That's part of the part of the reason. But uh, I gotta I gotta take a few steps back to give you a little bit of the of the history. Uh, until this day, eighty is known to be a, an organic uh, country, meaning organic meaning natural country. Everything we used to eat, we used to grow it, and we used to cook it. We, we're, we're, not, we're not a country that is infrastructurally prepared to, uh, to deal with packaged foods. And, and when, when after a while, um, that, that the the country's economy uh, started to to uh, collapse. The whole decision was that to open open the, the market for imported goods to come in. And when, when, when I speak about imported goods, you, you, you see a great percentage of that is from uh, foreign aid, like the uh, humanitarian organizations who, who, I don't know, they, they, they wait not far from, from the border, as soon as a little something happened, I'm not gonna say a little because of lack of infrastructure. Right there, as soon as something happened, they, they flood our market with, with uh, humanitarian support, which probably well intentioned. And then that brings a lot of, lot of, lot of trash. Since we used to eat everything we, since we used to do, make or cook everything we eat, we used to grow everything we eat. And we didn't have a big trash problem because, you know, those organic stuff. And so when they opened the market for foreign foods or for, 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 for uh, imported packaged food, they not only did not educate the population about how to, how to uh, manage the waste, I guess the government didn't, you know, didn't implement, you know, uh, good infrastructure to, to, manage it them, to manage it themselves. And so... Uh, while raw packaged food never stopped coming in. Um, so as packaged food uh, keep coming in, the local uh, local uh, crops are diminished simply. Um, so the country is to become a, a dump for, uh, for countries like, like the US, Canada, and, and every other industrial industrialized countries uh, uh, like that. Um, I mentioned the, the packaged food from humanitarian uh, organizations. I mentioned the market that, that is open, wide open for people who are selling uh, packaged foods to, to bring it in. Since, yeah, we are in need of it because we, we grow less. Apparently, the only way to keep, good, keep foods uh, conserved is to package it. What? With plastics. Yeah. And there's one more thing that brings a lot of trash in hate is something called food dumping. Food dumping is one thing that, that I don't know ins and outs of it, but I know the concept and it's a well-known concept. Food dumping where, you know, 
companies have expired rules. They, they, they sell it to the government at a cheap price or just pretend that they want to give it to them. They don't have any place to dump it here, but they, they, they go dump it in, in a poor, quote-unquote, poor countries like Haiti. And so there you go. And, and, and all this trash is being piled up and piled up and piled up in the, in the region. So a heavy lack of waste management system. So the, the, the waste is piled there. And the only way they could find out how to get rid of it, they're not getting rid of it, they're just burning it. And when you burn plastics, it doesn't go away. It just become a big mess block. So I grew up in, in, in Capetian. And I remember when I was growing up, there was, just like I started explaining to you, my mother used to go to the countryside she buy large, like huge quantity of produce and come sell on the sea. But even now, even my mom is saying, man, when I go to the country, I don't find anything to buy. I might, I might go and buy my buy a few cases of, I don't know, soft drinks and then cool them down and sell them. You know what I mean? So that's how much local crops are deteriorating. But to come back to your question, since I've done with the history part of it, why? Because when I moved here in the U.S., I noticed how clean an environment can be or how clean it is here compared to where I'm from. I noticed that right away. I knew also, I learned from the south part of, of the country about recycling. It was a big thing. And since I was living in Haiti, I didn't see how could that be possible. Uh, so I didn't pay much attention to that. And, and it was a woman a Canadian woman that was taking on that initiative. She was very, very struggling with it. I, I saw it. I saw how it was. And when I moved here, I noticed how clean it is, and I see how the trucks are going around, picking up trash, and just do that thing. So, so, so beautiful. At the same time, since I am in the diaspora, I, I get calls from people back home to ask for, uh, for support. I need to find a way to create something that people down there can not only help the community via their trash collection, but they, they can make some money as well. Um, and so I created Kaibrada. I remember, I also remember how even my family used to use plastic as cooking fuel, not, not only plastic, but used to use plastic pieces to, to start fire, which we all know how toxic that is. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 make, I make all these plans, mostly in my head, of course. <laughs> I called around and start, start the initiative. The compelling reason was to, to uh, reduce waste in, in, the, in the streets, which when, once, when you drink a, a soft drink, you, you drop you toss the bottle and you, you go on the street and then the street bring it to the canals, which is the waterways, like the, you know, the sewage. And then the sewage then bring it to the river, and the river makes its way to the ocean. That's the cycle of, of uh, uh, Haitian plastics. Okay, and then I wanted to to you know help uh, uh, now reduce the, the ones on the on the streets. Very accessible for, for street collectors or uh, plastic pickers. Noticing that when they end up in the water with the canals, when there are rains, the plastics block the water flow of the water, the water overfill the streets and that's where floods come. And it doesn't have to be a lot of, a lot of rain either. A little bit of rain, big floods. 
a little bit of rain to be floods. And that's not even, that's not in one part of Haiti, that's in the whole country. Um, and so I wanted to, to help with that. And even the government, when they, when they, when they pile it up and pick it up, where they go, they go next to the closest river to dump it, or they go to a open field, they just dump it, and then they, they, they cut the whole thing on fire. We see like huge, huge clouds of smokes, plastic smokes, and covering the whole neighborhood or the whole city as they burn those, those piles of trash. I got to a point, I've been here for a year or two, uh, I know how clean, a place can be, and I went when I when I went back, I got a culture shock. Saying, what? It's so dirty of it. Wow, how, how did this get so dirty? You you must you must see where I'm from, and I couldn't take it anymore. And so, the plastic burning, the the water waterways get clogged up and create massive floods for any small little rain, and the burning, even the government is dumping trash next to the river. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I gotta do something. And then that's when Kaiba.com along. And uh, as I said, it's been doing it for six years now. You all have managed to pull tons and tons of plastic waste out of the system and actually get it recycled. So I know that has done a wonderful job to uh, to help with that. And I know that this is kind of off the topic. But since you mentioned it, would it be better if humanitarian organizations did more work with helping farmers then uh, in Haiti? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't even have to explain. Yes. If, if you think about it, for a humanitarian organization to go to a place like Haiti to offer one bite in a big plastic package food is to me and, and and to most people I talk to it's silly because there's so so much resource that goes into organizing and you know shipping and I don't know collecting all this stuff to bring well and just making the plastic packaging yeah just making the plastic packaging it's like won't you just do it this way instead because that's that's what would be you know, sustainable and actual make a positive impact. That's bigger than one podcast on how to solve that problem. But I tell you what, man, I tell you what, fortunately, many, many individuals are out there um, talking about, about this specific issue, how um, humanitarian organizations, well-intentioned, but I want to say well-intentioned, but a bad strategy on how to address humanitarian aid. You can do it like that forever. Or you could do it like this in a more impactful way that will hit the nail on the head and hit the nail forever. So besides hiring people uh, to collect uh, plastic and recycling uh, waste, uh, you also do a lot of work in schools. Tell us about what you're doing in schools and how that also helps empower people and teachers and students in Haiti. When Kaila first started, I used to take uh, every almost every other month trips to Haiti since uh, the concept, the recycling concept, is a very new concept and he still struggling into. I don't want to say drilling into the people's head, but especially with the adults, it, it's been that difficult to explain it to them and to make it make 
sense to them since it's a, it's a, it's a brand new concept. Um, but when we first started, it was very difficult for the adults to understand that it's, it's not good to bring the trash, better to collect it and then recycle it. You don't need to throw it away anymore because Kairada is, is welcome and pick it up at your house. But for them, they, for the adults, they, they thought that it was kind of like an, an insult for them. It's like we're asking them to collect trash for money. What, 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 what's wrong with you? You come from that diaspora and bringing us this silly idea. We're not going to do that. They didn't embrace it well. I noticed how difficult it was to educate the adults. And then the rest of the people who were on board, uh, we decided that we're going to, uh, we're not going to like ignore the adults, but we're going to focus on the kids as the kids could ensure the long-term durability of the initiative and the kids could um, eventually become the adults and help facilitate the infrastructure that we're trying to put in place. It's going to cost more, yes, it's going to be a bigger team to be able to run a, a education, a formal education program, not take more material, more knowledge, more this, more that, but it's it's the more secure approach. And that's when we started uh, reaching out to local school teachers, not the schools yet, but the school teachers, that school teachers could help us reach the schools better as if we influence one teacher and that teacher will go to her school and talk to the rest of the school or the, the principal or whatever. And so I, I had, had a teacher that I was, uh, I was friends with and she loved the idea and she said, let me take this on and I will take care of, of the rest. And so she, she did. She designed a curriculum that's, that's environmental-based learning and recycling at the core of it through the, the months to come after I reached out to her. And she came up with a, with a team of 25 teachers from seven uh, schools in the area. And from there, uh, the education program was adopted on, in the community. Um, now, it's a community of over 500 schools. So seven school is nothing compared to what we have to work with, but it, it's, it's a place to start. With the education program, we, we provide the teachers with education, environmental-based education material to implement in their teaching. Our, our curriculum is not the only curriculum that they're using. It's only a part of the curriculum. We give them this material to, to like kind of fit it into what they're doing. We provide them with that material, and then we invite the kids um, one class at a time to come visit the recycling center so they can see with their own eyes how the recycling is done. And then, as uh, what the politician would call trickle effect, with trickle effect, they go home and, and, and talk to their parents about it. So far being very effective because some of the parents come visit us saying, visit the recycling center, of course, saying my kid came home with this thing about recycling. And she told us what it was and we tried to come visit for ourselves. And it, it's, it's really, it's really slowly happening, but surely happening with seven schools and 25 teachers 
we are hoping to double that annual time as we get sponsorships and donations and, and stuff. We, you know, we are, we are a nonprofit organization. So. Right. And so uh, donations to Kai Blada help expand programs like that in schools in Haiti. That's right. Um, and our, our education program in the seven schools, it, it, we, we, we're counting about 2,000 kids in, in the program. Before we got started talking about project-based learning and, and place-based education as one of the things that I'm often encouraging teachers to work on more, and this is a great example of how to do that and how that helps empower teachers and students to take action within their communities. There's always something, or there's always issues anywhere that youth can do to help make the world a better place. So that's great to hear how you all do that and, and the homegrown uh, curriculum. That's right. It's great the way we approached it. Like we have the teachers in Haiti who, who know the education system already. It's their effort. It's their work. It's, it's their approach on, on what, what will work and what will not work. want to thank you today uh, for joining us, Blada. Thank you. Thank you so much for 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 having me on this podcast. It, it's an honor to be speaking on, on what matter. And uh, I appreciate your work, Scott. It's a great work that, uh, that should continue on even, um, even after we are not on this, on this uh, little rock called Planet Earth anymore. Uh, because uh, with this work, you know, giving people a platform to come talk about what they do and, and how others who've been thinking about, probably been thinking about the same thing, how they can get involved and, you know, kind of inspiring people. This, this, uh, this platform is, is uh, a great place to do that. And I appreciate the whole teachers or podcast for uh, having me on. Thank you very much. The honor has been ours as well. And we appreciate the work that you're doing. And definitely on our website, we will have some links on how uh, you can support the work of Kai Blotter Recycling. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is brought to you as a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. If you would like to learn more about how we help schools and youth organizations embed social-emotional learning within their cultures, and implement high-quality, holistic interventions, please visit our website, www.oncoursesolutions.net. This has been Episode 6 of the Fall 2021 Season. This episode concludes the 2021 season, but we will be back in February 2022 with Larry Brentrow as our guest in the first episode. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues about it, either in person or using social media. We also greatly appreciate positive reviews on the podcast app you use. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guests are never compensated for appearance, nor do guests pay to appear. 
Transcripts are available following the podcast publication on our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.